Hey guys, welcome back to Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? And we are back with an episode that is uh, directly related to New Year's Eve slash New Year's Day. We are done with our Christmas Festivus series. Unfortunately, unfortunately uh, episode shy. Yeah, we normally do four for our series uh, to, to round out the month. But we didn't make it. Snowstorms and stuff. It's been miserable up here lately. It has been. Yeah. It's like this uh, miserable cold can go away. I'm not, I'm fine with the cold itself, but it's the fact that my skin doesn't like it. And I've been literally just like covering myself from head to toe from like the start of the day in like lotion. You gotta. Otherwise, you're gonna dry, dry the hell out. Yeah. It's terrible. I know. But we're back. Um, this time, we have never really done a New Year's special. Never done a New Year's. Like, I, well, here's the thing. Not very many New Year, New Year's movies that I can think of. Can you? No, not really. I, I mean, there may be some that have New Year's in them, but I can't think of any that are really like New Year's. I just always think of Forrest Gump. Yeah. Happy New Year, Lieutenant Dad. Yeah, just like like one-off parts of movies, but not nothing that like the focus of the movie is New Year's. Except for the one that we're doing today, which is the 1980 slasher New Year's Evil. Now, 1980 was the like really the start of the slasher craze, especially with those that would um, like take the slasher formula and put it into holidays. So we, I mean, you would have had Halloween before that. Um, but other than that, like this was at the beginning of the holiday craze where it's like, take a holiday and, you know, make, make a slasher film out of it. So in that regard, New Year's Evil is kind of a purveyor of the genre. However, I was thinking about it. Does, uh, was Friday the 13th ever a thing like, like a sign of bad luck before the series or? I think it was, and the reason I say that is because... um, 13 just has, like, you know... Negative connotations in general. I mean, I think it was, and only because when you look at Friday... I mean, there there would have been... What other reason would they have had to pick Friday the 13th as the day? Sounds good. I guess. Wednesday the 9th. 
No, I th- I think it's always been kind of a thing. Tuesday Just the twenty fourth. Not as big of a thing until after that occurred. But it's always been like a superstitious. You know, the next thing would be to do now is to like combine sports and holidays. So like Monday night killing. You know. <laughs> hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. That. And it, what what would it be? Just like take place in an, like a, an entire football game or something yeah. like that. There's like a Monday night football serial killer running around. I feel like that would that would end pretty quickly. I think what would be more interesting is if you took a Monday night game, just just one, and set the entire film around it. Like had the the slasher like well, yeah, hold no, the entire saying, yeah. stadium hostage. Stadium yeah. hostage. That would be kind of fun, actually. It's a good idea. You should pitch that. Friday night deaths. You know. There you go. Yeah. High school football instead. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Right up the. You should that you if you wanted to bring back like ninety slashers, you could pitch that to them and, and have it be like like not even I mean set it during the nineties, like yeah. a, you know what I mean. That would be a kind of a fun one to do, and you could make even make it kind of humorous. Like not even you don't you don't have to like go talking, full are you, are you on talking about the Monday night or the high school Friday night. High school Friday night. Oh, that, every time when someone's getting stabbed, we're going to be hearing little explosions in the sky in the background, you know, <laughs> to set the mood. That sounds like a fun one actually. I th- I think that has room to grow. You could really that could blossom into something. No, but we're talking about so New Year's Evil, um I feel like it doesn't really get that much recognition. It's not one of those films where a lot of people are like, "Hey, have you have you caught New Year's Evil?" Um, you hadn't seen it, right, before um, this one? Nor heard of it, and I think there's reasons why. <laughs> I had only seen it one time. Uh, Scream Factory released it on Blu-ray not too long ago. I think maybe maybe just a year ago uh, they released it, and that's when I caught it. And I thought it was a, like an interesting slasher. I won't say like a good slasher or anything like that, but I thought it was an interesting slasher, um, taking that idea of New Year's Eve and doing something with it. And as we'll talk about in the show, I don't know how successful it is at really setting it around New Year's Eve or even giving a a motivation for why it's set around New Year's Eve. Or I, the... think, I think it's better than most. What's better than most? The motive or? The whole set, the premise of it. Oh, like the, the why, idea. Of why it takes place on New Year's Eve, I think. I mean. I, 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 think, I think actually what it does with, you know, the idea is a good one, um, especially for a slasher film. I think it is pretty creative. I think the whole problem, though, is going to be, you know, execution. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, like, this could have gone somewhere with the idea. It's much better than, like, Leprechaun. Yeah, you know, yeah. Or, or some of those others that are literally just set around the day just because. I'm thinking, you know, some of them, they just want it to be on a holiday. And there wasn't really much thought into put into like, well, what does it mean to actually have it set on the holiday? It, they didn't really think about that. They're just like, well, you know, we'll say it takes place on April Fool's Day. <laughs> we'll say it takes place, during, you know, on, on her birthday. And it didn't really matter to the film, really, that it was taking place on a ho- specific holiday. Columbus Day is going to be the next one. Yeah. That would, you know what? That'd be great, actually. You're really pissed off about Columbus getting... uh some recognition or you can do it the other way around like they're pissed off because you know how dare you celebrate christopher columbus for being a right. genocidal asshole yeah and so they want to like prove that it's not yeah. a good thing to celebrate a, a killer or you could you know have it the other way around 
See, like you got the first and second film right there. Wow, we should start our own production company. <laughs> Pay somebody to make them and live off of the the proceeds from it. <laughs> Be good. Not bring back the grindhouse films. Yeah, and that's pretty much how these all started too. It's just like, again, coming up with like, well, someone else did a holiday. We should do one too. However, I will say that I think New Year's Evil is a little bit more than that. Like, and at the, that point in 1980, there wasn't really much to go off of. It wasn't like that was a that became a staple point of the genre. Even in this film, uh, you'll see that it kind of circumvents some of the established slasher norms that would come about in the later 80s. Like, there's not a lot of uh, sex equating to death in here. And there is a little bit. But it's not to the point of where like it everybody. Is, it is though for like the the main. The reason. main premise is is sort of like that, I guess. But but I would say that that's not like whenever a kill takes place, it doesn't always happen around like teenagers having sex. He's still targeting women. He has a different mindset for why he's targeting women. But it's though. still it's still both sexual and. Like an inferiority complex, so yeah, it's still like the same thing, but they're they're not blatant about it. It's not, they're not they're not saying like um, there's only like a couple of times, like in the opening, for no reason at all, like someone's passing by in a van, a girl's got like her you know big old titties just hanging out, like it's dirty, you know, it's like like whoa, must be nice driving down sun. That's what Sunset Boulevard's like. We're gonna gotta go out there, yeah. And then like the couple at the drive-in, he's like, <laughs> you know. Cop, you know, cop with a feel as like her tits out, and he, she's like, "Come on, let's let's go. Can we do something?" And she's like, "No, not till the next movie." Yeah, <laughs> so nonchalant, <laughs> so great. I just don't see the the theme being of like virginity as much in this one. I mean, it, there is something to do with inferiority complexes and chastity and and uh, adultery and stuff like that, but not to not to the extent where of some of the other slashers in the the genre so so but I, th- I think that's that's kind of an interesting thing and sometimes when you uh you watch these films and you haven't really seen a specific slasher it's sometimes it's hard to put it into context of like where it would have occurred within the time period like i was just watching but this um, definitely looks like it was late 70s oh, early 80s from the from the standpoint of like the the music and the the look of the people yes but, like, I'm just saying, if you were to, like, pop it in and you weren't sure what it was at that point, um, sometimes it's hard to to get the context of it. I was just watching Christmas Evil the other day, um, which, it, in a lot of ways, reminds of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Except when you watch Christmas Evil, you find out that it was done before Silent Night, Deadly Night. And then they do have some significant differences. And then the same thing with To All Good Night, which was another Christmas film that has a killer Santa in it. That has a very similar plot line to Friday the 13th. Uh, it has a twist ending that's almost exactly the same as Friday the 13th. Except To All Good Night came first. Months first, but still first. So it's kind of interesting think, how that happens. Do you ever think like maybe like the production companies at the time were just kind of sharing ideas? Yeah, I don't. I don't really like, know. Just like you know, like so it's like, hey, what if we this I happened? Mean, it, like, yeah, you can. Oh, that's our ending. Like, you do it too. Like, we'll all make a shit ton of money. Seems <laughs> unlikely for the in this scenario because they wouldn't wanted. They wouldn't have wanted to give away Friday the Thirteenth's like big twist. And to all, Good Night really did not have much of a 
a release or a following or anything like that. So um, I'm thinking that Friday the 13th, they, they, per, it was a coincidence. And perhaps Friday the 13th either did, did not know about To All Good Night, which is – I mean I could see that happening. Or they did and they just didn't see it as a threat because it was a very low-budget film. Friday the 13th was clearly better in most aspects. So they were just like – whatever <laughs> you know uh it doesn't really matter to us and most people probably haven't seen to all good night anyway so but it's interesting how like when you watch those slasher films now and you don't have a good context for when they came out you might think like oh well they copied this other film and then you find out actually they didn't it came before it fun to go back and, and do a historical retrospective yeah yeah all right, um, let's take a break real quick, and we will talk about our beer that's that we have on the show, because we do have a new one. Tis the season. That's right. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, so today on the show, we have a new beer. We've had this uh, this uh, brewing company before, um, and we actually have talked about them recently with their Canadian breakfast stout. Uh, we don't have a breakfast stout. Because this was a 15-pack of cans released by Founders. And Founders is pretty... They've become notorious for releasing 15-packs of IPAs. I think the last four 15-packs of cans that they've released have been IPAs. Like, uh, they we did the... All, here. Yeah, I mean, they did the all-day IPA. They've done uh, the Mosaic Hop IPA. Um there was another, I think there was another one that was an IPA, but I, I don't remember. Yeah, it was the Centennial IPA. And now they've got their Azaka IPA. The only one I've seen that hasn't been a fifth, uh, been an IPA is the PC Pills. Yes. Which is a hopped pills in there. So. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. In a similar fashion, but just not. I don't know why. I don't know why. Is it like the IPA like in high demand? So they're like 15 packet. Just 15 oh, packs yeah, of cans. That's, that's, it's craft brew like as we've said a thousand times it's craft brewing in general it's got a hard on for you know ipas and they got to be everywhere yeah yeah i guess but the one that we have today is the 15 pack can of azaka ipa um the azaka ipa i've never had before um and from what i know i've never really had the azaka hop before uh it's a particular style of hop um, it's named after the Haitian god of agriculture. Uh, so fun, fun fact for you. That's very hipstery. <laughs> yes. And, um, I, I like this hot, uh, hoppy beer. Um, I think it's an interesting take on an IPA. I, it does have a, a different style and different taste to it. Um, one thing is it's seven, I, uh, 7%. And 70 IBUs, so it's not on the super high range of uh, bitterness, but... Um, it's up there. It's it, Yeah, it is up there. 70 is quite a bit. I would compare it to uh, Sierra Nevada's Torpedo quite a bit, actually. The main difference between the two, I would say, though, is uh, Sierra Nevada's uh, Torpedo Double IPA, um, more piney. And I think that's because of, you know, the West Coast hops in it. And I think this the hop in this, at least, isn't as, you know, as piney. A little, just a little bit more overall citrusy. Yeah. The can describes it as a citrus and mango flavored hop. I don't know if I get a lot of mango from it. Um, citrus character for sure. Not Maybe not so much mango. It's a little slight. 
They also say it has a touch of caramel malt. Not getting, yeah, not getting. I don't get the, yeah. The malt I can't really pick up because it's so damn hoppy. <laughs> yeah, I don't get much caramel from it. However, I got to say that I do find this a pretty drinkable beer. Um, I crushed a few on Christmas. Uh, quickly felt them. <laughs> After uh, three mimosas in the morning and then couple more founders as Azaka IPAs in the afternoon. But uh, I felt it was a pretty easy drinking beer, so I can understand why they might release it in a 15-pack. Um, and I also see why they – and I think the Azaka pack has been out before. I've never really picked it up. But I see why it's been now readily available in the winter because uh, they are trying to market it as sort of a winter IPA with the citrus hop character and the – I guess the caramel malts, which, as we said, we don't really get that much. Um, but I can see it as a sort of winter IPA. It's kind of, I think it's hard. It seems a little hardier to me than some of the others, like the all day IPA, which is a very easy drinking light, uh, meant to be a session, session IPA. IPA. Um, but I, I think this is IPA is pretty, pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. Um, I know you're kind of sick of IPAs, so yeah, um, I like it. Um, I, I do think it's pretty good. Um, but uh, and I and I do get like I said I would compare it similarly to uh, Sierra Nevada's Torpedo IPA, which if you had that before, this is a lot like it because the alcohol percent is about the same, the IBUs are about the same. I think the main difference, like I said, between the two is with Sierra Nevada uh, Torpedo, you get a lot pinier, pine solly, uh, overwhelming hop taste. In this, it's more citrusy, but it's still a very Hoppy beer, very, pretty heavy. It's like it is drinkable because it's crisp, and you know pre- goes down pretty easy. But it, like you know, if you're not a fan of IPAs, you're not gonna like this beer at all. Yeah, I do get that that torpedo sense as well. Now that you mentioned it, um, that does it. I think that's pretty spot on with what the Izaka IPA is, uh, with just some differences to it. Um. But I, I, I like it, and I, I've got to say that pretty much I've liked pretty much every Founders beer that I've had I so far. I haven't had one that I don't like. Yeah, I, I think they make a very consistently good beer, and you, I've never really had one either that was was middling to me where I was just like, hmm. Uh, that, I, that ESB we had fucking like five, six years ago is like still chasing like the pink dragon Yeah, <laughs> that we got at the Old English Pub. On tap and haven't seen it ever since. I've never saw it in you know bottles or cans or anything around here. It's like, ah, wish you could find it. I know. I wish I could. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, Founders make some really good stuff, and there's still some that I'm wa- I want to track down, like the Kentucky uh, Breakfast Out. Really want to find that. Um, we were lucky enough to get the Canadian Breakfast Out while it was still available. And uh, they're in the normal breakfast. Yeah, their regular breakfast stout is great. It's amazing. The fat bath, yeah, Scotch ale. It's great. I don't think I've ever had the Scotch ale. It's really good. Dirty yeah. Scotch bath. I, I think I, I think I missed out on that one. They, but, it's all available around here. It's but, year round. So, yeah, but it's uh, really good. But then, like, the, and then the rest of their IPAs that I've ever had, um, which was is, a, and I was a big fan of the PC Pills too when we did yep, that for the, and that really good. That was really good as well. Yeah. So I've never really had one that I disliked. Um, another thing uh, that I had over the the uh, course of the Christmas break, 
Uh, we went to um, do our annual drinking with the cranks fun festivities, which put, is a can put that in air quotes. Yeah, fun and air quotes because no, I meant the we. Oh yeah, you no, you I were would... you were not there. You were not present. You had to work that next day. Mm-hmm. However, I mean it. It's fun is also in air quotes because it's not a. I wouldn't call it a particularly fun time. It's a entertaining time that you have to endure. It's like a yearly tradition, like almost like a like sadomasochistic thing you have to endure because it's kind of like a power hour, I would say, <laughs> because you're pretty much drinking probably a shot in, a shot a minute. I think a power hour is worse. They're both bad, but a power I, power hours are miserable. Yeah, this one's spread out over an hour and forty minutes, so you get a little bit more time to digest. But for the most part, never drink anything heavy. Uh, but what I had for it was uh, we Browns, which is a local brewing company in Troy, New York, and uh, Albany, New York, I think, right? They have one in yeah. Albany. Um, they make a hibiscus moonwalk beer, which is basically a – it's like a ghost uh, with hibiscus in it. And um, that was one of them that I had. Do not recommend for um, – How is it every year – our friend Kevin – is the one that brings the stuff from Browns because he lives See, out in I, Troy. And this is my it, fault this time. I requested it. Oh, you did? I did, I was yeah. going to say because it's, it's, every year it's ha- the drinking with the cranks has happened. He has brought some, something in a growler from there that does not fit the game. The first year was a strong ale. This this time last I requested year, it. Last year, I think it was like a brown ale or something. Yeah. I can't remember. So yeah, it's this good. this year I requested it. I requested the hibiscus moonwalk and the. You should have requested him to bring you also a French dip sandwich from Brown's. <laughs> yeah, delicious. those are tasty, delicious. But I I requested the hibiscus moonwalk, which is a ghost. Um, it was good, but I again I would not recommend it to like do a drinking game with. And then also uh, the blackberry blonde ale, which again was good. It's not that super sounds, sour. That sounds great. I would love that. It's not super sour, but it does tend more towards a ghost territory. I would like it though. Even yeah. Though, I mean, like, I like I said before, I've grown like ghosts more. Um, the thing is, it, it, the fruit that they use for it is going to kind of hinge on whether I like it or not. And I like, love blackberries, so that would be right up my alley. You'll be proud. I'm really starting to, like, get into, like, enjoy wine now. It's not really... Oh, good. Not really, uh... When I've been, like, ha- like tr- trying a few glasses, like, here, try this, try that. I'm like, kind of making a face, but it's like, yeah, that, I, I could drink that. Well, I'm glad. Bad. I'm glad. Now um, you're you're starting to see the appeal. Pretty soon I'll be eating butter pecan ice cream and... Well, or there's right, originals candies, right, being an old man. Right now, what do you prefer, white or red? White. Really? <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> I am I'm a red guy through and it's, through. It, it has more... <sighs> well, granted, these have been like cheap wines too, all of them, so... Mm. You know, but I mean... Well, the redder, have... you're going to get more of like a vinegary taste to it almost. And... You know, it all and like the thing and like with the dryness too on either one. It all depends on my mood. Like if if I'm like feeling a certain way, I may prefer like the wine to be like you know drier. If I just want to kind of just drink and kind of drink the wine itself and like not really care, then don't make it dry. Really, you know. But yeah. like I said, n- by no means a connoisseur. St- not even an apprentice. You know, still like in the recruiting process. But you know. You're getting there. Starting to finally get there. Well, I'm glad to hear it. 
That's nice. Why don't you tell us about your beer drinking this weekend? Um, spent $28 on a 12-pack of Heineken Light and a Heineken Magnum bottle. Uh, for those who don't know, the Heineken Magnum bottle is the special Christmas and New Year's bottle that Heineken's released. It's a big old like 50.7-ounce uh, champagne bottle or something. It's 50-something ounces. Because I looked up online, so I'm like, how many ounces? Because it doesn't say the ounces on it. It says, like, you know, a liter and something. So I looked up online because I wanted to know roughly how many beers were in it. It's just over four. And, um, yeah, I got it. I got it. I like Heineken. I prefer Heineken Light, actually, now more than I like Heineken. Um, Just because Heineken always seems to be a crapshoot. In like how it tastes, Heineken Light's always been consistent. No matter if I get it in a can or a bottle, Heineken's always like if I don't get it in the glass bottle, like fresh off the line, it's gone awry, like Newcastle. Um, and you're right with the fifty point seven ounces. Oh yeah, yeah, that's okay. what it is. Yeah, yeah. my memory's fucking amazing. But um, but yeah, so I, I literally got it just for the novelty and for me and you to drink. Not in Christmas, but you were having your Christmas dinner where I thought you were, so I didn't get to go out, and so me and someone else drank it, and it was all right. Um, even though it's still in a bottle, it still had like a tinny taste to it, like the Heineken keg, hmm. which uh, was disheartening. Still drinking, but you know it's disheartening. That's weird. That's I wouldn't have I wouldn't expect it to have a tinny taste to it. But and it also helped too because it's been sitting in my garage for like two days. Hmm. And I didn't let it warm up enough, so it was still fucking pretty super cold. So that kind of numbed the taste of it overall, because, you know, it's been sitting in negative 10 degree conditions. Did it actually pop when you did the cork? Yeah. Nice. It's it, and um, Did you shake it up and blast it all over some hose chest? Thought about it. Yeah. Didn't do it, though. No, man. That, well, that, there's always New Year's. <laughs> As we'll talk about in the show, there's always to, New Year's. We'll have to play my cards right and see how that goes because the bottles are still going to be out, so I'll have to, you know, grab a couple. And you know what? Yeah, I want. I do want to grab one. It's ten bucks. Yeah. So for one. ten bucks for four Heinekens, it's a little over. It's overpriced because if the four pack of the sixteen ounce cans that they do, you know, the pint cans, that's like six ninety nine, seven ninety nine. So it is overpriced. So a little bit over. But you're getting like you know the novelty. You get the schmancy. You're, you're literally paying for the novelty of it. it's like a holiday champagne bottle. Yeah. You get the twist, you know, the little metal part off, and then twist the cork off. And yeah, I know. just looked on the Heineken website, and it's like it's the perfect way to celebrate the holidays with the Magnum bottle. Bring it with you. <laughs> Bring it to your friend's house. Yeah, well, they'll be impressed. Yeah, that's what I did. All right, is that it for beer talk? Yeah, I haven't had anything now. Nothing's been speaking to me. All right. Because, well, I just say that because I really want to get into New Year's Evil. Because <laughs> it's an amazing film. Great. It's it's amazing. Best soundtrack ever. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's the only reason why you watch New Year's Evil, right? You want to catch the band Shadow that no one's ever heard of. And Made in Japan. And Made in Japan that no one's ever heard of. They were really... Br- this movie was a real breakout for them. <laughs> you can tell. They, they went on to do <laughs> m- many things after. Well, here's the thing. We'll start off by saying that our intro is the, obviously the theme to New Year's Evil. I'm telling you, it sounds like it could have been, like, if they took the lyrics out from it, it could have been Death Wish 2's theme. Like, Jimmy Page, before he 
you know, yes, if you haven't listened to our Death Wish retrospective, yes, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin did do the theme song for Death Wish 2. It's like he was watching New Year's Evil. Well, he did the whole soundtrack and he was all over the place. Dark times. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it's like he was listening, like, it seemed almost, at least to me, it sounds like they sound similar. Just like, like, wow, that would totally fit. I think it was in the uh, time period thing. It was no, a time that too, but I'm just saying, like it's, and it was uh, it was definitely inspired by real life celebration of New Year's Eve, because the entire film is set around this celebration of New Year's Eve, wherein On Sunset Boulevard, yeah, a, apparently a very very popular punk rock show of new, li- new wave. yeah, sorry, new wave, new wave show of live music hosted by Blaze. <laughs> Such a great early... Like, and her real name is Diane. <laughs> Blaze Sullivan's the host. Yeah, she's like a 50 years old. Yeah. And she's trolloping around and like a... You know, again, like it looks like, at, like after you watch this film, it's almost like Cindy Lauper must have watched this movie and be like, That's, that is the look I gotta go for. Going for it. You know, dyed, ridiculously dyed hair, makeup that's caked on to look ridiculous. She looks fucking ridiculous in this you movie. Don't, you don't like to get up? She looks terrible. Do you think... The makeup is god-awful. She looks like a fucking clown with all that, like, you know... Do you think that in real life... Not in real life, but in movie real life, Diane Sullivan, not Blaze, but Diane Sullivan, does she go out in public and she's wearing, like, the makeup she's on on with the show? Or does she wear just, like, normal makeup or, like, not have teased, crazy, redheaded hair? I think she probably sticks to the act. Sticks to the gimmick. Yeah. Because she's very diehard in this about, like, you know, the show must go on and what's going on. I mean, one thing that I'll say that New Year's Evil does pretty well is show the two sides of her. Because she does, she is, Ross Kelly does a pretty good job in the beginning of this film of, like, downplaying, like, herself as Diane Sullivan versus herself as Blaze. Like, they are two different people. You can see that. uh, Diane is really putting on an act as Blaze. So it's not like it's her always. I think like in some ways Blaze is meant to be like an almost like an aging like I don't know what we would consider a VJ or something like that now. Wherein like she did it in the 70s and she was pretty cool and now she's kind of getting older. She's wanting to get out of that phase. She's not even a VJ. No. It's like literally like Dick Clark's bandstand, except for, you know, punk and new wave. Yeah, basically, it is like a bandstand. Yeah, New Year's Evil, the show. I mean, that, it's like, again, not only that, I'd say it's, again, like Midnight Special from, you know, the 70s, but the difference is they got, you know, a hotline added to it, so you can call and, you know, request things and, you know, vote for your favorite song of the year. What's your favorite song? I like that song that's called We Don't Need No Education. All right, thanks for calling in. Couldn't get the rights. I don't know I don't know that song. What's the actual song title? Oh, we're not allowed to say that. Okay. Right. No. Okay. We'll just call it We Don't Need No Education then. No, I bet I I think that the film I wonder if Pink Floyd, if they actually did say Pink Floyd's another brick in the wall, they'd be like, hey, you owe us some money. Because it was the biggest song in 1979. The Wall was the number one album. It's entirely possible. I so think I, they tried I, to I, stay away from that. But I, but I almost feel like, though, um, at that point, they after Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, 
Roger Waters and David they been co they got they got their money. I mean, leave, it, leave the movie that was shot on no budget alone. Just like, it, it just seems like they intentionally like left that out because they knew that they couldn't say it. Well, they would have gotten away if they said like, "What's your favorite song of the year?" Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, "Refugee," because he would have been like, "I don't fucking care. You want to put it in the movie? Go right ahead." Yeah, it doesn't really fit with the the nature of their music, though. Yeah, it does. they were originally yeah. they were they were when they broke out. They were originally considered new wave. Yeah. That seems they, like they a, were mislabeled. Yeah, it seems like an erroneous label. They were mislabeled, but when yeah, when they broke out in '76 because they had uh, the the album cover. He's in a le- leather jacket and like all the album artwork and like the liner notes. They're wearing like leather jacket and leather pants. They were considered new wave and punk. But that's the thing, though, because even by this time, because new wave and punk's been around by like. Five six years by you know nineteen eighty yeah people kind of been able to sort out and figure out what's what you know this movie doesn't do that and I find it kind of hilarious how like you know Shadow looks punk supposed to be new wave and they're like doing like hair metal songs yeah they do like some power metal hair metal ballads like you know like mix of, like Judas Priest and like. <laughs> De- like early Def Leppard's great. Whereas Made in Japan really does more, cater more towards the punk slash new wave yeah. ideas that they I really think they would have been better off going with a Made in Japan song for New Year's Evil. Except apparently, for whatever reason, Shadow was the one that was supposed to write the New Year's Evil song. And they ended up coming up with some sort of like hair metal piece. Well, uh, I think they're on the same label as this movie was produced on, so that's why they got canon. It. Yeah. yeah, so because yeah. they do say the soundtrack is at the end credits is available. And well, what I like about this though is that the opening scene of New Year's Evil is pretty important because, as I was saying before, Ross Kelly does do a pretty good job of of um, transitioning between who she is as Diane and who she is as Blaze. So as Diane, she has a kid. She has a husband. Um, her kid is somewhat obsessed with her in a very awkward way, and it's because she doesn't give him enough attention. Taboo was big at the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then she, you know, she has a husband as well. And then once you get into her act as Blaze, you see that she's more of a, I don't know, I would say a risque person. She's she's more willing to be outgoing and kind of off the cuff. And so that really translates to what New Year's Evil is trying to do is show why the killer has an obsession with Blaze and Diane specifically because they're trying to prove a point here on New Year's Eve. And they are doing it by creating a gimmick. And the gimmick being that they're going to kill someone that Diane or Blaze like would be knows or and somehow is related to um every hour when it turns new year's day in each of the three locations that the uh show is broadcasting so they're broadcasting from well they have each time zone like to check in so they have like yeah so they have new york then chicago then aspen colorado with a guy who sounds like he's from fucking montgomery alabama yeah we're up here in Aspen, Colorado. We got that, you know, we're, three, two, one, but like Boomhauer. We're checking in here. Uh, uh, we got a, a bunch of people skiing down here with flames and uh, <laughs> torches. Drunkenly singing old Lang Soo. Uh, woo, daddy. 
Yeah. Do people even still do that. What's that? Sing like old links. Old link sign. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it is tradition to play it at the end of the. Uh, I know, but I don't. dropping. I never knew the fucking word. Like just, uh, no, they like just drift off, you know. Well, I, yeah, I'm not sure how many people actually. I think it's more of a. But yeah, I mean, I think people know the tune at least. But in this film, yeah, that it, w- one thing that is really funny is that it's they just pick randomly Aspen, Colorado, and no one there. It's you know you see uh, Times Square New Year's Eve and people are like roaming around in the streets, well, just the, huge and, crowd. And again, not only that, but the funniest thing about that whole thing is like, yeah, we're here in Times Square and people have been getting here since five o'clock today. And it's like five o'clock at night. Wow, <laughs> times have. Ch- in 37 years, times have changed. People are fucking camping out like three days early. Like, yeah. Like, oh, I gotta be here. I'm sure people are there now. Stupid. Waiting for the ball to drop. But they've got that. You know, they got Times Square. People are milling around in crowds and streets. Same thing with Chicago. People are milling around in the crowd. And then in Aspen, Colorado, people are skiing down the mountain. <laughs> They're carrying torches. Well, to and... be fair, like, I mean, I mean, to be fair, like, if you did have to like, pick a city out of the mountain times, like, it's on, like, what are you going to pick? Phoenix, Lake Tahoe. <laughs> I would, yeah, Phoenix would be a good pick. Salt Lake City. I just think that I find Aspen, Colorado, to be a very random pick. I don't know. No, it is like no, it is random. They should have just skipped over the mountain. Like fuck you, you don't get your own. <laughs> you don't get your own. No one really cares about mountain time. So like we got East Central and then Western. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that you know, but the idea. Of the film is that he's going to kill in each of the time zones when it hits midnight one new person and then broadcast it to Blaze, who's on TV, live TV. And so the effect is kind of, I mean, the idea is chilling, right? I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of spooky that he would go out uh, out of his way, go to all this length just to make sure that he's going to kill one person every time it turns midnight. And the film does show that for quite a bit. As our killer, who is unmasked, I mean, we see him clearly. We 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 know who he is the entire time throughout the film. That is kind of, I will say, it's a flaw in this film. Yeah, the yeah. fact that he's just kind of bumbling about, like as like some just like random guy. You know, there's no. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, just let me finish the thought. Um, but he's you know he's unmasked. He's going around. He's killing these people, and the film does kind of bring that up for a little bit. Like he's. He's very like OCD about being. Which that is like I gotta be. We're supposed to be here at ten o'clock. We're fucking not here yet. Which that is funny. Uh, That 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 part's funny. Like just him like twiddling his thumbs and like getting pissed off. Like yeah, you know, this this bitch is ruining my night. Yeah, I mean, I guess let's we could talk about now about just imagine like Michael Myers. Like if he was like just kind of like just like you done. Done yet? Yeah, he's he, you done like taking a shit in there. Like, because on, let's, let's well, go. the the difference between this film and other slashers is that we do have that unmasked killer. We do see him all the time. We know who he. I mean, we know his face. We don't know who he is per se. Mm-hmm. Like what his connection to Blaze is. You should get this in the first five minutes. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a a connection there that you could you could figure out. But the film doesn't come out and explicitly tell us until practically the end of the film. Um, but I think that in some ways it is successful to have him unmasked because then we get a lot of great cinema, constant wardrobe changes. Yep. 
the the wardrobe changes are the things that may, really make me laugh because the first couple of killings, our killer is not seen at all. But besides by uh, the actual victim, he's not seen. So the wardrobe changes are completely unnecessary, and they seem just like a way for either the film to just kind of have fun with it or more so like the killer himself to just feel like he's a lot more he's smarter than he really is really because the wardrobe changes are completely unnecessary no one has seen him and that adds to the hilarity because i really my favorite one is the disco oh god yeah yeah, yeah. that's the that's the best one because the concept of him thinking well i'm gonna go to a disco bar I absolutely have to have a fake mustache to go into this place. People are going to be suspicious if I don't have a mustache going into this disco bar. <laughs> that is the best to me. Because the mustache itself is unnecessary. It really doesn't add much to the disguise he whatsoever. He looks like he belongs in there to begin with. Like, he'd be the guy that's like, yeah, you know. Well, that's the thing. Diana's, I, I think that Kip Niven looks pretty good with that fake mustache. And it almost seems like he should always have it. Like, that's just his natural, like, face. Yeah, Yeah. and he should always have a mustache because it fits pretty well. And I feel like he had a good time putting it on because there's that whole scene where he's gluing it to his face and the killer's just like, yeah, yeah, this looks good. He's, like, having a blast with it. I love that. It's the best. That's the best scene by far for me is just seeing, like, him thinking – well, I'm going to a disco bar. There's going to be people with mustaches I there. Mean, I can't. I got to blend in. I mean, I think my favorite scene is just uh, watching the young youths partying to the music at the Ho- Hollywood Hotline, and they're dancing like they're fucking shambling zombies at d- in Dawn of the Dead. Just like, Ugh. oh yeah, especially dur- yeah when the slow scenes. Yeah, and they're just like, Ugh. oh, it's like that to me is like the best part of the whole movie. Because not only that, not only that, because halfway, again, we talked about it too, like how the movie kind of misses the mark with the music. At one point, they're playing blues, like, they're just playing a slow, like, blues song, and they're, just, they're all just, like, tripping, like, look like they're tripping out an X, and, like, they, be- like, belong in Dawn of the Dead at the end, like, just to wander and shamble around the mall, because they're literally just shambling about. They're not even, like, dancing, they're not even in rhythm. That, to me, is, that is, like, ties with the mustache, like, being put on. Well, the, right up there. It's great. It's comedy gold. I think the music itself, while it is a, definitely like a supposed to be a focal point of the film, one thing that's distracting to me about the music is that never does the scene seem to fit with the music. Like whenever the 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 kids are dancing, like the punks are dancing, it just never fits with what's going on in the music. And I feel like that's just a directing thing. Like when they were pairing it and probably for the most part, when those scenes were shot, there was no music. They were oh, like, you can tell it's, you know what I mean? You it can was tell the bands are pantomime. Yeah. It was oh, like, hell. Hey, pretend like we're playing. So you could just tell like everything looks very fake and set up. Like just, just shuffle around, just pretend like there's music going on. And I love it when like you have people like lip sync or pantomime, like instruments and it's like guitar solo part. And they're just kind of sitting there. Like, <laughs> You know, like when the guitar solo is going on, or like, or they're not, or there's not like it's just a regular rhythm part for guitar, and they're like sitting there noodling about, like, like oh, we, come on, we know you're not doing that, come on. I think that's the most distracting thing about New Year's Evil because as 
it, there are some scenes that do t- do get it right, but I think a lot of the dancing itself is just it doesn't look like they really had anything playing and they're, they just had to make it up as they went along. And that's distracting to me because the film is all about music. It's really first and foremost, like an elongated music video for shadows theme to new year's evil. I mean the, the music gets that, that soundtrack theme gets played like four times. It gets played at the beginning of the film. It gets played literally four minutes later. After the beginning of the, when the credits are done, uh, then it gets played like uh, for a third time, like towards the end of the film. And then the end credits are this, that song as well. It's like, they got their money's worth. They're like, how much should we pay for this? How much is our budget? We're using that song as much as possible. (laughs) Made in Japan. They're like, we'll give you a couple bucks to play a couple of your songs, but (laughs) so awesome. I love it. I want to know though why Kip Niven dressed as a fucking a priest. Yeah, that costume really did not play much of a role and at all. Only, did it? And not only that, so like, who was he supposed to kill? Yeah, uh, I'm not really sure what the goal was there because he kind of gets. He's looking at a picture, so I'm assuming it's some nun he's supposed. Yeah, to that's kill. what it's. But it gets yeah. he gets thrown off track because he actually hits a gang of bikers because it's it's this you know it's L A. It's 1979. And there are bikers just milling around everywhere. Bronson hasn't got there yet. He's still stuck in Chicago. He's, you know, driving around O'Hare Airport just gunning people down. So you gotta wait until, you know, 83 when he gets there for Death Wish 2. So, you know. I didn't realize that in L.A. there was just so many of these, like, punky kids just roaming around. Not only that, it's not just L.A., it's Hollywood. Yeah. It's roaming around. Rejects from the misfits, just all over the place. And then when you don't have those punks, you got biker gangs. I really think that it's funny how the film tends to bring up the fact from the police officers, uh, and it's really a very like small part of the film, but it does bring up a couple times how these punks are rebellious, and the police are like, well, you caused the problem. You have a punk rock show. Know, this is yeah. the problem. You know, you've, you look what you've created here. A bunch of monsters. A bunch of killers. Because of your punk rock show. Uh, it's pretty funny. And then there's another scene where the cops get up on stage to announce that... And, yeah, and all, yeah, and the kids are just like, Boo! Boo! Fuck the cops! Yeah. Boo! It's and he's really, like, yeah, yeah, shut up. Yeah, shut up. It's a really small part of the film, but it is pretty funny just to see. Because I don't really know... I don't think that this the creators of New Year's Evil were really like punk rockers. I, well, it doesn't seem like well, it from the the three seconds that we watched of the interview of the director now in modern times and the way he looks, he doesn't look like he would have been part of that scene at all. He's too dapper. I mean, it's just yeah, it just doesn't seem like they're really in the scene. It, more so that they were in. I mean, they yeah, were inspired to, by yeah the scene and in. trying to cash in on it. Um, so I think that all comes into play with New Year's Evil. Um, I think one of the the bigger flaws with this film too is that it's really slow. It's a very like plotting film. It's an hour and a half, and it, yeah, it's only it's actually only eighty five minutes long, but it's a really plotting film. Um, part of that's because the film doesn't make much use of the killer. Uh, outside of him, do, like doing a couple things with a 
his victims. Um, even a lot of the death sequences are not shot on film, but they're actually off screen and then characters find the bodies later on. Um, there is an amazing scene though, where, uh, Kip Niven jumps out of a dumpster, lighting him, lighting his face up with a lighter and drags the woman in there to kill her. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's great. I mean, because the way that it's shot is the great part of it because you get his mustache in full glory. It's just like surprise motherfucker. But I would say that most of the kill scenes are really um, not not very entertaining. Lackluster, dull, uninspired. Yeah. And and the film doesn't really know how to pace itself very well. Um, be- and part of that is because it's trying to incorporate so many, like, r- stupid music numbers. Well, because you got to constantly check back in at the, you know, the Hollywood hotline. Yeah. You know, what's going on there? And then they go to him and, like, he's talking in a phone booth. Which, by the way, do you... Is this like one of the first movies to have like a killer with like a voice distortion? Uh, pr- one of the first, probably not, but uh, it's an interesting voice distortion, that's for sure. I think that the interesting part of it is that it sounds like somebody else that I can't quite pinpoint, but the voice sounds similar to someone that I'm in my memory sounds like that. But uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's the first, but. I think it's an interesting take on the killer. Um, it's necessary because Blaze would obviously know the voice if she actually heard. Well, not only that, though, but because, um, you know, for the most part, you know, killers and slasher films are either masked or, you know, anonymous. And this one, it's not. So the voice distortion, do- you're right, does make sense. So I can- trying to think prior to this, any film that, you know, where that would really be the case. Where, you know, a, kill- a killer would have to, you know, distort their voice. Yeah, I I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there, prob- there was probably some before this. Um, one thing that I, I think you were right about when you brought up was the f- that it's not always a great idea to have the killer's identity revealed, like, right from the get-go. Because I think that knowing who the killer is does take a lot of the tension out of the film itself when we're trying to switch between him doing the kill and going back to Blaze in the hotel because part of the suspense comes from Blaze not knowing who it is and that's so, doing the and killing. And the victims then being stalked and... Yeah, and, and then her, her herself being in the hotel and not knowing if she's surrounded by somebody who could be doing it because... They, she knows that they're trying to get into the hotel. They, the plan is probably to kill her at midnight in L.A., but we already know who the killer is. So to following that, is the, the suspense is kind of lost on that, I think. Um, not that I find New Year's Evil suspenseful in the least anyway. It's more no. comedic than anything. I don't know. I don't even know that that's intentional. I think that some of it was very unintentionally comedic, but it just plays that way. Um, like one scene I'm thinking of is when he does kill the two women that he's bringing to the liquor store and they, uh, they find the one hanging from a swing and then they find another one, uh, and she slides down the slide the in a park yeah. Yeah, right when they find her. And it's like, Oh, 
that was perfect timing on the killer's part to figure out when they would find this body. And how, like, you know, the time it would take for gravity to be like, all right, you're coming down. <laughs> She's coming down, yeah. That's, uh, I, but I, I think that this I film mean, is not, mostly unintentionally But, I mean, yeah, no, you're right, because that's not just, like, a, a lot of films do stuff like that, you know. Of the, like, surprise body... Yeah, you know, just dropping in. Well, not like that. The first kill, the girl's in the closet. It's not even really that dark in the closet, nor a deep closet. You mean to tell me she doesn't notice the body in the back until she turns on the light? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. That's like, all right. You know. Stretching belief yeah. there. But I do think that some of the film is kind of clever in the way that it gets from one location to the other. So you have your costume changes with uh, Kip Niven. And then you also have like a lot of setting changes. That's kind of interesting. You go from he's uh, trolloping all. I want to know he's how all he's, over LA. He's the he's the SWAT team. He's just you know <laughs> all over the place. Just, he gets from he goes to a sanitarium. He goes to a um, drive-in. Which, by the way, the way they make the patients in the sanitarium look are re- absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, just very they go out of their generically way, like, like, look how crazy they I are. Know, like, they go out of their way just to make them look like fucking, you know, you know such loons. Don't they that's, all That's where the worst of the worst go, know, to this one random sanitarium like, oh, in don't, L.A. Don't, don't, you know, don't they all just need to be lobotomized? That's what they have them acting like. like Apparently they already were. <laughs> and they were like, shit, that didn't work. Put them all at uh, whatever that sanitarium's called in L.A. But he goes to the sanitarium, he goes to a drive-in, he goes to a disco. It's amazing. It's like the 70s and early 80s rolled into one film. <laughs> you know, you're right, it is. A drive-in, a sanitarium. Yeah, sanitarium, not, not really referred to anymore as sanitariums. Yeah, that's been, you know. That's kind of an archaic term. It's a uh, great word, though. Sanitarium, yeah. It just sound, you know. Well, it does have that connotation of being like, well, that's spooky. Yeah, that sanitarium. Yeah, that and the you know shitty, shitty place to go. Yeah, place where you know either like they said tuberculosis patients or you know where they you know. Uh, but I mean, he, it's like an encapsulation of the late seventies. In in some ways, I mean, I guess that makes sense because we're we're into a new era. We're going from seventy nine to eighty. I'm assuming. I'm assuming that that's the intention in New Year's Evil. Released in 1980, probably 1979 to yeah. 1980 would have been the big celebration, um, you know, new decade. And so that kind of, I guess that makes sense in that you're kind of showcasing all of the, the old and into the new. Um, so, I, I, but I, it's it's definitely a, a fun way to get around this film, you know, going from sanitarium to drive-in to seeing Blood Feast up on the drive-in. Is that an actual movie? Yeah. I'm assuming it's made by Canon then. Uh, yeah, it was a, a, a um Herschel Gordon Lewis film, um, but but I think that's interesting. And I, what I found funny about the drive-in was that it's clearly just a trailer that they're showing, like an elongated <laughs> trailer. But every, the woman's like, that's, by elongated, you mean that's what the '70s were like? Trailers are four minutes long. They revealed yeah. they revealed everything in the movie. Yeah. Right? So when you went to see the movie, it's like, all right, now what's gonna happen? You know. But then you have the the girl in the car that's like, no, I'm waiting till the next movie. It's like, bitch, you haven't even watched. Movie I not like that. I just love how disinterested she is, and like the guy, like you know, fucking go round and second on her, just like you know, he that's all he's got his mind on is them movies, you know, and squeezing them, and she's like, I don't fucking care. I just want to watch the movie. 
I, I so no, you can't. We won't have sex. But if you want to keep squeezing my tit, go, you know, <laughs> go right. That's ahead. true. Well, she's smoking. She's smoking pot. So she's no, smoking. I know. But I'm just saying, it is just funny because it's like you know, it's like, like come on, let's do it. Like no, not after. No, until the next one. <laughs> I think another favorite part of mine too is when um, Kip Niven is bringing uh, one girl that he picked up from the disco. To wherever he's going, I don't know. It's not really clear where he's actually trying to take her. Uh, but when he he's in the car, she's going on and on about all the '70s spiritual stuff that she's been doing. And he, all I was missing was like uh, Hari Krishna's. Yeah, and I ran into this up. And you, you, you could just see him like becoming more and more angry. Yeah, disenthralled with this whole situation. <laughs> like I should, I shouldn't have done this. Um, I wanted to kill her, but I didn't realize I'd have to take like a 45 minute drive to her do fr- it. Her friends got uh, nervous diarrhea. <laughs> yes. Um, they, <laughs> she stops in a liquor store and they show that exchange between the, the, uh, the okay. liquor store clerk and her for no reason at all. Just in a very awkward one at that. The man seems like on new year's Eve, this is the only sale he's had. <laughs> Of, like, buying expensive champagne. That's it. He's like, thank you so much. <laughs> he's like, this is the only sale he's had all night. He's like, we're barely floating by, but thank you for buying this expensive it's, champagne. It's like when you went in Naves and bought that one bottle of uh, Mischief, mate. Yeah, and they're like, we Mary never thought mischief. we'd get rid of this. <laughs> like, like, hey, you got any Mary Mischief? You, you want some? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We never thought we'd get rid of this this beer. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a very awkward exchange. I don't know why it occurs in the film. It's, it's it really unnecessary. Though. I also love it too because he's he's a tall man, and that fucking counter is like up to his knees. Just oh yeah, so so low to the ground. Well, the other thing too is, and we've talked about this on the show a couple times before, when somebody steals another person's outfit to become that you know to to as a, a take pl- that place. And it miraculously fits them. That happens in New Year's Evil as well. Because Kip Niven knocks out a particularly robust cop. And I would say much shorter than him as well. And then next thing you know, Kip Niven's wearing that police uniform comfortably. It's like clearly he did not fit in that. Nice and slim fitting. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly he did not fit in that. Um... The other thing that New Year's Evil does is it has the uh, demented kid as well, which we talked about a little bit at the beginning, who's obsessed with his mother. His name is Derek. Uh, and it does seem like some of the other Christmas movies that we've seen before, like Silent Night, Deadly Night, wherein the child has yeah, is traumatized and then becomes the murderer. Um, and that's the case in this film as well. There's one scene where we, we find out that he probably does have some sort of issue where he takes his pills, his his I'm guessing antipsychosis pills. They're giant horse pills, and when he puts them in his mouth, he doesn't actually swallow them. No, you can, you you can clearly, clearly, clearly see. see him like swishing them around his mouth as you're like, ah, you know, like, ah, the pain. Ah. <laughs> Editors missed that one. <laughs> um, what do you? Th- All right, so what do you think about the main conceit, the main twist of this film, being that Blaze or Diane's killer is actually her husband. That was spotted five minutes in for me. Not not too hard to uh, no, pinpoint. That, no, that's you know, not a hard twist. 
Especially seeing as, like, you know, they specifically point out in the video, like, where's Dad? Like, oh, he's in Palm Springs. He's not feeling well, and, you know. Yeah, they they do make and the it. Fa- and the fact that they're not hiding, you know, him as a killer, it's like, so who's the killer going to be? Well, it can't be the son, because we see him at the hotel the entire time. Though, in this film, it could be possible for him to sneak out and, like, you know... Because he's, tro- you know, yeah, dad's I, trolloping all over Hollywood. I guess, it, so. yeah, I guess it could be possible. But, I mean, the only logical, you know. Yeah, the film doesn't really give you any other uh, suspect. There's no, there's no one else. I mean, unless this is just some random killer, which I guess it could have been. But it would have really had no, like, bearing on the plot whatsoever. But it, 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 there's no one else that it could possibly be besides her husband. That's it. It's not really a twist so much as just the inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Well said. Um, I, I mean, I guess in some ways I understand the motive of why he's doing this, but I think that New Year's Evil does a pretty poor job of like explaining no, exactly why. I think the motive's good. I think how they get there, though, like I said, it's all execution. Because the whole idea, I think, is cool. Why is he killing? Well, he has issues with women. He, you know, feels that the women around him are making him inferior, cutting his balls off, not making him a man, and they're tricking him and conning him, and they're because you know they're whores essentially, and they all they do is lie and they're deceitful. So, as an idea, that can work. The problem is we don't ever see anything in the film that shows how the because he's connected to the victim. Well, at least the first <laughs> one he is. The, you know the next two, they uh, three. They don't explain how yeah, they're connected. No connection. Yeah. They just explain the first one how they're connected. So we don't really know how the well, other three were connected. But so we don't really get enough to show, like. So why why does he feel that way? It's just like oh, because he was also because he's also has mental problems. He was in the sanatorium too, and his wife like cut his allowance off. Didn't give him enough money, and now that he's bitter. Not really, like, a, you know, they should have given a lot more depth to that. Yeah, I and think... Not only that, and the fact they ex- just totally exposit dump that, the, like, tack that on at the end, like, as he's holding her hostage. It's like, okay, yeah, you really, like, didn't know what, you know... Yeah, there you, was... You got, you're like, we're in a bind. We really don't know how to kind of explain. It's like, yeah, you know... They had, yeah, they just had to explain it in some way as quickly as possible. Uh, what would have countered that was with, like, Richard showed up and... Diane was like, oh, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? Or at least in some way made it seem like she didn't care about him. But that's not the case. When he's in the hotel room, she's like, oh, Richard gives him a giant big kiss. Doesn't seem like anything's wrong whatsoever. Um, So really the only thing that you get as motive is actually more related to Derek, who's been consistently pushed aside at the beginning of the film because Blaze is too busy doing her own show. And you know has to get to the show rather than paying attention to derek and what he's done which is get a job at it he's got an uh an acting job lead role so it makes more sense actually to have the killer be derek because the rest of the film requires an exposition dump because then richard has to say i talked to derek derek told me that you didn't really care about him being a an actor well i'm pissed at you now because you didn't care about derek being an actor and then you were also an asshole to me like previously so we really require all that exposition just to get to the point of like why um 
Richard was doing all this stuff. And it doesn't work out in the way that it really should as New Year's Evil. I would actually be even, I would be fine with just this being a random killer who's just like, I want to kill people on New Year's Eve in all locations. That would have been fine to me. It would have been fine too also with that, having it be a random person with that same, um, the same, you know, reason for doing it that, you know, Kip Niven has. Just make it a random stranger because... The idea, like I said, I think the idea is good. It's like, why is he doing it? Because by, you know, midnight tonight, it's going to be the start of a new year. I've had a really bad year. Right, and yeah. Then, and, you know, now I, and can, I can change it. More more like... Uh, so that's like, you know, it's like, hey, you know. It's, it, it would be someone like that's obsessed with Blaze because they watch her show yeah. so much. They become obsessed with her and then, you know, do commit this these crimes just because of that. I think that makes more sense, too. Um than what we actually get. I, I, I just think that those stuff with, um, having Richard be, you know, sm- spited and stuff like that. It just, it, it's requires too much exposition to actually be effective in the film. And then you're kind of left with a lot more questions than even something like Halloween, which doesn't really have any answers to why Michael Myers is target targeting, um, Lori, there's no answer to it. It's just that it happens. My biggest question with this film is why? What the fuck mask is Kip Niven wearing at the end? Yeah, and 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 who thought like why? <laughs> is it supposed to be like creepy Nixon or something? Yeah, I don't. I don't particularly know exactly what they were looking for with that mask. And, and, uh, yeah, no, yeah, because we know him throughout the entire. So why at the end is he like? Is he like trying to hide who he is? Like, I'm not really what, sure. What's the symbolism I'm supposed to you know gain from that? You know, gleam. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely. It, it almost seems more like they're like, well, other movies like this have had a mask, so we need one. Well, yeah. The, well, the thing is, they should have had it on when he was doing the killings then. Right. Would've, would have gotten, you know, the beautiful mustache and the priest outfit, but, you know, it would have made more it's sense true, of him tr- trolloping around, you know, Hollywood with that mask on killing people than at the end when he's getting chased, like, oh, hold on, I gotta put my mask on. The only thing that I can see that it does is eventually allow Derek to kind of take over that role because at the end he has to put on the mask and... It doesn't make sense, but he has because, to put on the mask in order to drive the ambulance away. And again, that's stupid too, because there's a fucking photographer. Yeah, there's the like media an, is an, outside looking right into the ambulance, taking pictures and flash photography. No one's questioning, like, like, why is that ambulance yeah, driver wearing a ridiculous mask? Isn't that mask? EMT's going to have a hard dr- time driving <laughs> that thing to the hospital with that on? Who Who cares? <laughs> that's the only reasoning I can give as to why. The film decided, like, in the last ten minutes to be like, we need a mask. Oh, that, or I'm thinking somebody accidentally bought a mask. Like, well, fuck it, you wasted $20 of our budget on a mask. We gotta shove it in there somewhere. We gotta make it worth, <laughs> worth you know, worth the effort. Do we, do we ever actually see Kip Niven at the end of the film? Like, when they take off his mask? Do we see his face per- specifically? Maybe not- Kip Niven was not available at that time, so they're like... They had to do reshoots or something, and they were like, I throw no, somebody's. They shot in 18 days, so. I, That's true, I, yeah. I, there's no. Yeah. I no, you can only get Kip Niven for 15 days. You couldn't get him for the whole 18, so. <laughs> I don't have an answer for the mask thing. Um, probably in like the director's commentary or something, they explain it, but 
I really don't know what the reasoning is for the mask at the end of the film. It seems like overkill at that point. Like, why? I'm almost interested in the commentary, but I have to put it on and then just listen to the commentary and not watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that's why I always have a hard time in the commentary. I never really watch or listen to commentaries because I just watched the movie and then now I've got to listen to the audio commentary with the movie again. But and then I wish you could just download like a podcast. Right, yeah, you should just be able to download the commentary. Because I don't need to see like when they get to a certain scene, like what's actually going on and talking about it. Especially if it's like a film that I really know. Like I can watch like a commentary on like The Godfather. I don't need the film playing to like know what they're talking about right I'll, yeah. I'll know off the top of my head that would be interesting to listen to and and see exactly like some of the things that we had questions about like were they actually in the punk scene or was this more of a cash grab to try to you know do something that would appeal to a certain audience yeah and then the other well, thing because they're like, not only that too they're equating like you know new wave and punk to you know you know damn kids being you know demonstrative and bastardly and they're all doing these you know terrible things so it's like who's gonna go see smut like this right those goddamn fans of the human league yeah punk punk people punky people um do you want to do a rating for this yeah let's do a rating um on a scale of 10 dumb blondes are you going to do dumb blondes? I was going to do Kip Niven mustaches, but... Okay, we'll go Kip Niven mustaches. Kip Niven mustaches on a scale of 10 Kip Niven mustaches. Fake Kip Niven mustaches. Fake, yes. What would you give New Year's Evil? Give it a five. Middle of the road. Um, It's definitely a mediocre film. Um, It's not a good film whatsoever, but it's definitely not the worst film I've ever seen. Actually, I think, too, the whole idea and the you know, punk new wave kids and the music and all that, that just adds so much fun to it. And for, you know, though, though I like those moments of levity, uh, of unintentional levity, just because like we said, it is an hour and a half film, but it is a slog and it's pacing. So those like, I think, you know, make it, you know, me like, all right, I'll stick around. Cause they're going back to going back to the club. Um, I do think Kip Niven's fun. In his portrayal, I think, you know, and I, I, I do think it's fun what he does. It's nonsensical and ridiculous, but I do think it's fun. Um, other than that, it's, you know, the kills are bland. You don't get to see them at all. Like, the notable thing is afterwards, you get to, you notice there's always, a, like, an incision mark on a woman's breast. You know, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of comes out of nowhere. It's like a, you know, Jallo type thing, you know, to like, you know, but, um, but you know, the, all the kills are off screen, so it's very bland. And even when they do like the body reveals very bland. So like, there's no suspense, no, nothing to, if you're a horror, like a gore hound, there's, you're getting nothing from this, but I think the idea is interesting. I think it's poorly executed. I think it actually could be a, a neat idea to remake this. Now. Yeah, it's it's one of those films that I think they could actually get away with because there's not a lot of people. There's not a following. So yeah, like, there's came... not a lot of people out there that'd be like, "Don't do it. Don't remake New Year's Evil." I think this film actually, and I'm not one for remakes, but I think this could. Because I think I do think the idea is interesting. The idea of someone killing people on New Year's as a way to get revenge, you know, clean their slate, and you know. 
be like, and because essentially what you know at the end of the film, Kip Niven's saying like he's doing it today, and that's it. And then he, he's taking his son to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know, watch USC in the bowl game. See if they win another national championship. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like he's doing this to start a new era for himself and his son. I don't think he thought it through. <laughs> no, I don't no. think he thought it through at all. Um, but you know, he. He did want to start over. So. All right. I would probably give it like a five and a half, I would say. Uh, I think in some ways it can be fun and funny and entertaining to watch, especially with a group of of people. And if you were like watching this on New Year's Eve as a party, I think that would be a lot of fun. I think this would be a good background movie. It would be a good background movie. You could even probably make a good drinking game out of it. Um, But... I don't think that it's particularly well made. Um, the script isn't th- that great. Uh, definitely has some issues with pacing, um, and I and I don't particularly think that they did a good job explaining the killer's motivations. And that's I I don't often have a problem with killer motivations, especially if they just kind of leave them. Uh, open to interpretation, but, this one, but this one tries to explain it, so it does have that issue with like, well, you didn't do it well enough to what you were trying to attempt. So, um, I think that becomes an issue within the New Year's Evil. Um, and then, like you said, the kills are off screen, so a lot of that just becomes very poorly paced. And uh, I don't know. And you can only listen to Shadow so much before you get sick of it. I like you. It we is, both prefer Made in Japan to Shadow. Yeah. I think Made in Japan songs are better. They're punkier. They're n- more new wave, and they fit better within like what the film's trying to do. Coming up next, the special, some two tone ska. You know, some new wave ska. <laughs> That'd be great. I would. I would love that. I love the specials. Yeah. Somewhere out there, the people in Shadow are listening. Like, oh man, <laughs> they didn't like us as much. Is made in Japan, and somewhere out there, made in Japan's listening like, so. like awesome. Fan well, fan number three. Well, <laughs> look on Amazon to see if I can get me a made in Japan. There CD. you go. Yeah. If you're made in Japan, just write us. <laughs> Let us know you're still out there. All right. Still any- making that music. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else that you want to add about New Year's Evil before we call this episode? No, I think that's it. I think we touched on pretty much everything that there is to say about New Year's Evil. Uh, all right, what's next week? Well, what episode we on? This is 98. So 99. We're up to 99 next week. 99. What do you, I don't know. Oh, I know. What's that? Suspiria. Uh, That's Suspiria. I mean, Phenomena. My bad. <laughs> We've, well, here's the thing, too. <laughs> I do have the new Suspiria Blu-ray from Synapse. So that's also an option. No, we, we, I bought the Steelbook. No, it was an expensive fifty dollars. <laughs> I have to get some use out of it at some point. <laughs> well, we'll do it eventually because that is a, that is a Dario Argento film. Before I even really knew about Dario Argento, yeah, I didn't know Suspiria. Yeah, um, but, but yeah, we, we've but been we, promising phenomena for a long time for about a year now. So um, it, it only makes sense. And then we have a special episode for our one hundredth episode. So that's all we'll say. So we'll be back next week. And then we start our two, you know, every two week schedule. Yeah, yeah, because we're gonna move into a bi weekly schedule, um, which don't take that to mean twice a week. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Not twice a week. Every other. Every week. other week. 
yeah. So we'll uh, we're, we'll be back next week, and then it's a bi-weekly schedule. Uh, just makes things a little bit easier for promotion and otherwise. So hopefully you'll stick with us. Uh, we are we have made a change to our feed. So if you listen on iTunes or Stitcher or anything like that, you're all set. That's gonna roll over. Um, but if you did listen to us on SoundCloud, we switched from SoundCloud to Podbean. Uh, Podbean is a, a better, uh, you know, better site for people who are doing specifically podcasting. And so it has a lot of perks for podcasting with Podbean. So we've switched over to that. You can find us at bloodandblackrumpodcast.podbean.com. That's our new home. Uh, for all of our podcast episodes. So they're all going to be transferred over? They're all transferred over. Our feed is all set up. So, uh, But like I said, if you listen on iTunes or Stitcher or anything else like that, that's just like a, a podcast catcher, then you're all set. You, you'll get all the updates and and everything. So, you know, you subscribe to us on iTunes uh, or Stitcher or anything like that, and you'll get all of our episodes regardless. Um, you can find us on uh uh, what else do I want to do? You can find us on Twitter <laughs> at Blood and Black Rum. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Yeah, we should just make a like an audio for the end. Just like, yeah, just tack it on yeah. rather than having me do so, it every it's, time. Yeah, it's every time. It's true because yeah. I, I forget sometimes. I forget my spiel. So, <laughs> well, I mean, there's so much social media. And yeah, I know. Plugs, you know, you know. know. Just tack it on in like four different places in the in the podcast. Just have it randomly drop, like, you know, like we talking and all of a sudden, like, it's popping. That's right. I'm just on Stitcher. And like, just, you know. That's right. And then uh, the last thing is we're on, uh, we're on, um, what's the other one? Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Uh, you can donate to us. That's a monthly donation. So um, you can help us out, keep the podcast running. And you're right. We're also on the Pots- Colt's Plantation Podcast Network. Uh, if you are interested, if you're a podcast, you do cult films or anything like that, uh, you can write to us and let us know at Blood and Black Rum Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll get you set up on Colt's Plantation Podcast Network. You can join us and join the ranks of good cult cinema podcasts. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with Phenomena and we hope you enjoyed our New Year's Evil New Year's Eve show. Take care.